Scripture reading will be from Haggai 1, verses 3 and 4. Haggai 1, verses 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? It is a cold, crisp autumn day, but we're thankful to have a warm building and to be able to come together to assemble, to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to be looking at the book of Haggai this morning. The theme of our study today, the work is not finished. It's been several months now since our building took a major hit by a tornado. Thankfully, our building was not beyond repair, and even more grateful, I guess you could say, we're now back in the auditorium meeting once again, and from a physical vantage point, the work is almost finished. It's almost concluded. From a spiritual standpoint, however, we understand that this building is not the church. This building does not represent the church. A building is made of mortar, wood, and other things that have been assembled by mankind. The church, however, is a spiritual institution. And so in one, I guess in one way, the building, physically speaking, it's almost finished. But the church, spiritually speaking, that is you and me, members of the body of Christ, what we need to understand is the work is not finished. If anything, it's only just begun. There are many, many things for us as God's people to do in this community to bring glory and honor to Almighty God. So we're going to be thinking about the theme, the work is not finished. As you and I begin to look at the book of Haggai, first of all, I want to call your attention to the excuses of the people. And as we think about the excuses of the people, what you're going to see in looking at chapter 1 is their aimlessness. They were an aimless group of people. Now, in order for you to understand what I'm talking about, you're going to need some background information. By way of background, God's people, as you know, had been carried away or deported into Babylonian captivity. They spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity. This was the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had already been swept away into Assyrian captivity, never again to return. Well, in about 539 or so B.C., Cyrus encouraged the people of God, to return to their homeland and to begin efforts to rebuild the temple. And so what you you see in chapter 1 and what we're going to read about is this remnant of people returned to Jerusalem and thus began building the temple. They had been in captivity. They'd been released. They've come home. And work has started. And so what they did, they laid the foundation. And you can read about that over in the book of Ezra in chapter 1 at verse 3 where the foundation was laid. And all of this was done, no doubt, to the glory of Almighty God. 
What happened, though, is once this, once this remnant returned and began these rebuilding efforts, they became discouraged. And they had some opposition, and as, as a result of that, they, they quit. And so this remnant that had returned ceased in their rebuilding efforts after having laid the foundation. And Ezra chapter, well, over in chapter 4, in about verse 24, we read where the people of God just stopped work. They simply gave up. And so they were an aimless group of people. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment about God's appraisal of these people. Because there were some reasons why, as I said a moment ago, why they ceased their rebuilding efforts. They became complacent. Uh, there, were some, there were some forces at work that were undermining them. Uh, we think about the opposition that, that rose up, and so they just quit. And so here's what God in the long ago said through the prophet Haggai, and Haggai says in chapter 1, verse 11, that he is the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. And so what he's about to say comes directly from Almighty God. And so we'll pick up in verse 2. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. <clears throat> Let me just pause here and ask this question. Why do you think these people had just given up on this rebuilding project? I said a moment ago that they, they had faced some opposition, and no doubt discouragement, opposition can be very unsettling in our lives, and sometimes we begin to flounder. Sometimes we lose our way. Sometimes we become aimless in our focus. Well, maybe that was the case with these people. But there are really two basic things that, that I think stand out in this passage regarding their rebuilding efforts. Number one, we see the procrastination of the people. What happened? They just procrastinated. There were some, there were some, some things that were, that were going on that that hindered them, no doubt. And they became discouraged. <clears throat> but then what happened was they, they just put it off. They procrastinated. And if you read historically speaking, the building basically laid in a state of disrepair for about 14 years or so. So some 14 years have intervened since Cyrus gave the command for the people of God to go back to their homeland to rebuild the temple, and then God calls on two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And these two prophets are going to be instruments to encourage God's people to build the temple, to finish the project. So why were they not doing what God had asked them to do? Number one, as I said a moment ago, because of the procrastination of the people. Now, let me just ask this question. 
has procrastination hindered us from doing what we ought to be doing in the kingdom of God? Sometimes we procrastinate, sometimes we come up with various excuses as to why we're not able to do what God has instructed us to do. Now, if you look at verse 5, well, look at verse 4. Haggai said, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? They, they had their nice homes, their luxurious lifestyles. Things were going well for them. And so, you know, the bottom line was, all was well. Why worry about the temple? And so they just procrastinated. They just put it off. And sometimes as God's people, we fall into the trap of procrastinating in doing the work of God. There are basically three things that come to mind when we talk about procrastination and the work of Almighty God. Here are some of the excuses that people will sometimes offer. I lack the necessary skills. Now, it may be the case that you and I are not as well equipped as we ought to be in doing the work of Almighty God. But let me ask this question. Whose fault is that? Let's just imagine that I've been a Christian for, for many, many years or for several years. Is it not my responsibility to grow spiritually? Peter said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. In 1 first, in first Peter chapter 2, verse 2. In chapter 3, verse 18 of the book of 2 Peter, Peter again says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, He said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. I understand that there is a responsibility in the church for, for members to be grounded, to be instructed. The elders have the responsibility of feeding the flock. And I appreciate the elders here for their encouragement, for their support, for their desire that the Word of God be proclaimed fully from this pulpit. I'm very grateful for that. But sometimes people will say, well, you know, I just don't know enough. I would teach somebody. I would sit down and talk to them about the gospel, but I just don't know enough. Well, again, whose fault is that? If you've been a member of the church of Christ for several years and you can't tell somebody what to do to be saved, something is wrong. And sometimes we fall into that trap and we, and, you know, we begin to offer excuses. Let me give you a second thing that sometimes Sometimes people will use as an excuse to procrastinate the work. And it's summed up in the word strategy. Now there are some people that say, you know what, I would do more in the kingdom of God if I just knew what to do. Now wait a minute. You mean to tell me that we've been members of the church for, for lo these many years and we don't know what the work of the church is? What are the works of the church? Evangelism. Mark 16, verse 15. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Not rocket science. 
We're simply to go out and evangelize. And then edification. I think about the opportunity to build up the church, to be a part of the teaching program here at Olive Branch, to have the opportunity to come together on the first day of the week to encourage, to edify one another by our presence. There are certain things that take place in the church that help to edify, to strengthen. And then a third work of the church, effective benevolence. Simply helping others. As Paul said, let us, as we have opportunity, do good unto all men, especially them which are the household of faith. Three works of the church. What work are you involved in? It may be that you're involved in one or more of those works. And sometimes we procrastinate getting involved in the work of the church because we we use excuses. We say we lack the necessary skills. We lack a strategy. I'm grateful that the elders here have a vision for what needs to be accomplished for the Lord in this community. We have good leadership. And what this leadership needs is all of us standing behind them, supporting them, encouraging them, and taking part in the work of the church. If you don't know what to do, or if you lack the necessary skills, I can assure you, if you'll talk to them, they will help you. They'll point you in the right direction. Now, a third thing that sometimes robs people of service in the kingdom of God that becomes an excuse is people say, well, we lack support. Well, you know, I would do that or I'd be involved in the work of the church, but I don't have anybody to help me. Well, you know, there's a lot to be said for having support. I'm grateful to have people that support me and encourage me and want to help me. But listen, all of us at some point in time have to stand on our own two feet. At some point in time, all of us have to take personal responsibility. I understand it's a collective effort. We're talking about the church collectively, cooperatively. For example, in Acts chapter 2, we read about the early disciples. The Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. They had all things common. They were together. (coughs) Pardon me. But the point is, they were supportive. Sometimes people will use a lack of support as an excuse. Well, we don't want to do that. So, when God appraised these people, the first thing, there was procrastination. A second thing, the preoccupation of the people. What do we mean when we talk about preoccupation? Well, these people were so preoccupied with their own interests, they had forgotten about the work of the the temple. And so God addresses that. Look, if you would, at what he says. (coughs) Pardon me again. Verse 5, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. It's almost like they were just running in, I guess, just running at a standstill. Brother Dio, could I have some water, please? 
if you don't mind. But the bottom line is, these people were so preoccupied with their own interest that it, it robbed them of finishing the work that they had begun. Sometimes we become so preoccupied with life that the work of God, that the church of Christ is excluded. Instead of God getting our best, he gets our crumbs. What is it that sometimes preoccupies our time and our thoughts? Let me give you some things. Number one, materialism. All of us appreciate the material side of life, the comforts that material things provide us. But if that becomes the sole purpose of life, well, something's wrong. In Luke chapter 12, In Luke chapter 12, we read about a rich farmer whose fields were bringing forth abundantly. And so this man decided to just dig in, so to speak, and build greater things to bestow all of his crops and goods, as he said. And he said in the long ago, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. His attitude was just enjoy what, enjoy what he had built for himself to enjoy the material things that had been lavished upon him. If we're not careful, sometimes materialism can crowd out our spiritual lives. If we're not, if we're not careful as the people of God, material things and material, material concepts can so preoccupy our time that God is robbed. Let me give you a second thing that sometimes comes between us and our service to God. It's called money. Now, I know that there are some people that have to work on the Lord's Day. There are some people that have to work on Wednesday night. I know that there are some people that put in an inordinate amount of time on the job. But you see, there are some people that are so focused on making money that that is what preoccupies their thoughts each and every day. And so what happens is the work of God goes unfinished because they're so consumed with making the almighty dollar. Paul said, They that are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil which some men having strayed after have pierced themselves through with many sorrows and been led astray from the faith. What Paul is saying is there's nothing wrong with money inherently, but if money becomes your God, then ultimately something's going to give, and what's going to give is your spiritual life, your relationship to God. A third thing that can preoccupy our time is the mundane. The word mundane means carnal, the earthly, really the world. Is it not the case that many people, and yes, even in the church, have, got, have gotten caught up in the world? The world has filtered into the church to the point that we are no longer distinct or distinguishable as members of the body of Christ. 
whether it be our dress, our speech, our activities, our conduct, whatever. Now, if you get so consumed with the affairs of this world, it will preoccupy your time. I mean, you look at these people here. Listen again to what Haggai said to these people. You've sown much and bring in little. You eat but don't have enough. You drink but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. Warm. He who earns wages earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. What was he saying? He was saying they were focusing on all the wrong things. They were so caught up in the world, in their own business, in their own pursuits, they forgot about God. They forgot about finishing the work that they had begun. And then finally, merriment. And the word merriment simply means joy or pleasure. There are a lot of people that what is, what is important to them is pleasure and gratification. Now Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy chapter 3 at verse 4. Individuals who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We live in an entertainment crazed society. Every, just about everything that is on television today is about the gratification of of mankind for the most part I mean look at all the ads that are trying to sell you certain products to make your life easier to make your life and I'm not against comforts I'm not against the things of life that that make that make life enjoyable there's nothing wrong with having fun as the people of God we ought to have fun we ought to be the people the kind of people that can laugh and have a good time and enjoy life but we need to understand there's more to life than just pleasure and gratification. and it's, There's more to life than just trying to, to pursue my happiness at the expense of everything else. And sometimes so, some people are so caught up in pleasure, in making themselves happy that they rob God of service in his kingdom. Look at Solomon. Solomon said that when he... When he lived here upon this earth, that he did not withhold anything that his eyes saw. Whatever he saw, if he wanted it, if he liked it, he got it. That's the way a lot of people live today. And so, two things. When God appraised these people, procrastination and preoccupation. So the excuses of the people. But now I want you to think in the second place of the exhortation to the people. First of all, there was an admonition to these people. Listen again to what Haggai said. First of all, he said, consider your ways. Really, really all he's saying is what you need to do is step back, reflect upon some things. So look at him. Verse 5, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Drop down to verse 7 again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves. There are times in life when we need to take spiritual inventory. Step back. Look deeply into our own lives. And ask the question, am I moving in, a right, in the right direction? Am I going where God wants me to go as a child of His? Haggai said you need to consider your ways. And they did need to consider their ways. Because they were so self-absorbed in life that they had forgotten about the temple. 
And so God said, you know, you have your sealed houses, your paneled houses. You've got this luxurious lifestyle. Everything's great in your lives, but you've forgotten about my temple. So what you need to do is, number one, consider your ways. Number two, he talks about the consequences of their ways. What they needed to understand was they were going to pay a heavy price. They were paying a heavy price for their indulgences because they had lost their focus, because they had lost the thrust of what they were to be doing. Here's what God said. You've sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, he said, he earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. And then drop down and look at verse 9. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins. With every one of you, while every one of you runs to his own house, therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and all the labor of your hands. What was God saying? Here's what he said. Simply put, you're going to reap what you sow. You are reaping what you've sown. Paul said it this way, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to of the Spirit reap spiritual things. That is a principle that is as old as earth itself. Every seed brings forth after its own kind, according to Moses in Genesis chapter 1. You and I, what we have to understand is, whatever we sow in life, we're going to reap. That's what, that's what God's saying here. Your priorities are wrong. They started the work, they just didn't finish the work. All right, now, let's talk about the activities of the people. When we talk about the activities of the people, first of all, God said they needed to be fervent. There needed to be fervency for the Lord. Look again at what he says in verse 8. Well, look at verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now listen to him, verse 8. Go, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. When you read in the New Testament, what do you read God saying to his children? What was he saying in the first century? What's he saying in the 21st century? He's saying, go. Nowhere in the Bible do you read God saying, build, and they will come. God says, go. That's what we have to do. Yes, we've got a beautiful facility here. Yes, we've been blessed in many ways. This facility, this building, is not the church. This is simply a means that accommodates us so that we can worship God and serve God and fulfill our mission and purpose on earth. This building is not the church. We're just getting started in terms of work. What we have to have is a spirit of fervency. Paul talks about not being slothful in business. Fervent. Fervently serving the Lord in Romans chapter 12. These people were called upon to be fervent. God said, what you need to do is go. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Everything about us should be focused externally. 
I mean, I understand that there are some things that internally bind us together and we enjoy a sense of fellowship. We can encourage one another and we ought to do that. We do do that. But the work of the church, yes, there is a work to be done internally, but there is also a work to be done externally. So God said, go to these people. So they needed fervor. Fervor. In their work for the Lord. But then, note if you would, drop down and note their faithfulness to the Lord. In verse 12, the Bible says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. What, what did they do? They were faithful. God said, here's what I want you to do. And the Bible says they did that. Now you can read where the temple is later completed. As a matter of fact, it took them about four years to finish this project. It was no easy undertaking. The work resumed again in about 520 B.C. And it was ultimately completed in about 516 B.C. They had been allowed to return to their homeland in about 539 B.C. They started work. They ceased their efforts, and then the work of Almighty God lay in desolation for some 14 or 15 years. And so what God needed was a motivator, and those motivators were Haggai and Zechariah to stir the people up. They had to be fervent in their work for the Lord. They were faithful in their work to the Lord, but then also note they feared the Lord. Note, if you would, the latter part of verse 12. The Bible says that they obeyed the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the presence of the Lord. You know what you and I need is a healthy dose of fear and respect for Almighty God. We need to understand that we serve Jehovah God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is a privilege to be a servant in the kingdom of God to reverence and respect Him, to realize that we are in the presence of God and that we have the opportunity to serve Him, to use whatever talents or whatever abilities, if you please, that we have for His glory and His good. What are we doing to glorify God in our lives? These people feared the Lord. We need a healthy dose of fear of the Lord. And then finally... The assurances to the people. Now in chapter 2, God is going to assure these people that he's going to be with them. Drop down just very quickly. We're not going to read all of chapter 2. But in verse 4, here's what God said. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. And be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Now listen to him. And work. Let me just pause here for a minute. There are a lot of things for you and me to do by way of involvement to help this church grow. And let me tell you how it can all get accomplished. It can, it can get accomplished if we will work. W-O-R-K. Work. We must work together. To build this church to the glory of God. And when I say build this church, I mean 
We baptize people. We restore people. We bring people to an understanding of New Testament Christianity. So we had to work. God said to these people, look, you need to be strong and you need to work. We have to be strong. We have to be strong in the Lord, in the strength or in the power of his might. And we have to be the kind of people who are willing to work. And then listen to what God said. For I am with you. Now that's reassuring, isn't it? God said to those people no longer ago, look, if you'll do what I've asked you to do, I'll be with you. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, did he say, look, guys, you're on your own? Is that what he said? Does he say to the church today, when you go out and, in, and get involved in the work of the church, listen, you're just on your own? No, he didn't say that. The Bible says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you, what? Always. We have the assurance that God will be with us. We talk about favor from the Lord. To know that when we involve ourselves in the work of God, He's right behind us. He's not going to hang us out here and just leave us alone and let us fail. God's with us. Do you think God wants to see the church here fail? No. Do you, see, do you think God wants to see the church here stagnant? No. Do you think God wants to see the church here move forward to bring glory and honor to him to be filled with the souls of people? Absolutely. How's he going to do it? Through you and through me. That's the only way. It's going to take all of us working together. Now, having said that, just drop down and look. Well, look at verse 5. According to the word that I covenanted, with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Drop down and look at verse 8. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this, of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace says the Lord of hosts. God would glorify himself in the temple. Today the church is the temple of God. Where is God going to be glorified? In the church, Ephesians 3.21. How are we going to bring honor and glory to God? Through our efforts together. Now I say all of that to simply say this. These people had a huge task before them. And somewhere along the way, they lost sight of their purpose. It's easy to be a member of the church and to lose our vision of what we ought to be doing. It's easy to lose sight of where we ought to be, of what we ought to be doing. It's easy to lose sight of our importance to the body as a whole. Sometimes what happens to us as God's people is rather than being at the hub of service, we filter out to the peripheral. What I want to do is encourage you to come to the hub, to be at the center of work here at this church. We can build this church together, one day at a time, 
one life at a time. But in order to do that, we have to work. I'm grateful for this facility. I'm grateful that we're almost finished with the physical structure itself. Thank God for that. But listen, we've just begun. We've got so much to do. Now the beauty of it is we can do it. I believe that. We can do it because we have, we have great leaders, we have great deacons, and we have great members, and we have a great attitude. What we need is everybody on the same page and everybody on the bandwagon together. Maybe you're here today. Maybe your life has not what has not been what it ought to be by way of purpose. Maybe you have procrastinated doing the work of God. Maybe you've become so preoccupied you've lost sight of what's important in life. I want to encourage you to come home. You know, James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another in James chapter 5 at verse 16. Maybe you need the prayers of the church. Maybe you need to be restored. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. What would you need to do? Well, first of all, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. John 8, 24. Then you need to repent of your sins. Acts 2, verse 38. The Bible says you need to confess Jesus before others. Matthew 10, 32. And then you need to be immersed in water so that every sin can be washed away. Acts 22, 16. Would you do that today? If you'll do that, God will add you to the church and you'll be numbered among the redeemed. And the hope of heaven will be before you. Would you come as we stand and sing?